The Inside Transportation Podcast is sponsored by Ford Motor Company. Built on the belief that freedom of movement drives human progress from connectivity to autonomy, AI to machine learning, Ford has one simple goal, to improve mobility for its customers. To learn more about Ford's work in mobility, autonomous vehicles, and their corporate efforts to improve mobility for its customers, visit corporate.ford.com. That's corporate.ford.com. The Inside Transportation Podcast is also sponsored by Fenwick & West. Fenwick & West is one of the world's first and leading law firms dedicated to technology and transportation. Learn more about how Fenwick can help companies tackle the complex, legal, and business issues of autonomous transportation at Fenwick.com. That's F-E-N-W-I-C-K.com. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Inside Transportation Podcast, a production of Inside.com. This is our weekly podcast where we discuss transportation trends that you need to know about to stay ahead of the curve. My name is Johan Reno, and I'm the writer of the Inside Transportation and Inside Electric Vehicles newsletters. And I am joined here by my co-host, angel investor, podcaster, Inside.com CEO, Jason Calcanis. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Uh, got my Model Y update. I think it's coming next week um, or right around July 4th. So I'm pretty excited about Sweet. that. Sweet. You going to go on a little road trip for July 4th with your new car? I, You know, I'm really concerned about the pandemic. And so I have been in pretty tight quarantine with only a couple of other people we see, uh, like one other mm-hmm. family. So I am, you know, just... Um, trying to be conservative and here in the Bay Area, at least in San Francisco, they just halted the next phase because we had 100 cases in a day, which is probably an overreaction. But we've been really serious up here. We were the first to go into quarantine and shelter in place and apparently will be the last. So there's almost no deaths up here. Um, I think maybe it's 15 or 20 total in San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, which is miraculous, you know, compared to the rest of the country, obviously. A tragedy nonetheless but yes uh, southwest and all the west are being impacted by that and uh our hearts go out to everyone impacted by uh covid19 yeah um but to change the subject yeah uh, not that that's not important but today we actually have a very special episode and we have a very special guest uh john mcnellis from the law firm of fenwick and west which is a sponsor of this podcast but John is also a leading advisor, writer, and speaker in the field of autonomous vehicle technology. He chairs the California Technology Council's Autonomous Transportation Initiative and serves as the industry lead for Fenwick's autonomous transportation and shared mobility practice. So he has a lot of knowledge. He's very knowledgeable on regulations, different things that are going on in the industry. He actually works with some of Silicon Valley's top investment firms on their diligence related to intellectual property and emerging technologies. Uh, so without further ado, welcome to the podcast, John. How's it going? It's going very well. Thanks, Johan. Thanks, Jason. Uh, exciting news today in the autonomous space with Amazon acquiring Zooks, which now I can actually say we, we worked on that deal. So oh, we, really? were ex- we, we were excited to see that uh, get across the finish line. But we, yeah, we had spent a lot of time out with that over the last few weeks. What is... Uh, Amazon's thesis in buying this, do you think? Um, this is for the delivery trucks and stuff like that? 
uh, obviously can't say anything that's confidential, but what's being oh, course, yeah. reported uh, yeah. generally is that uh, people think it's related to kind of last mile stuff, last mile deliveries. I did sense. notice that it was very interesting that in the announcement that Amazon put out, they actually maintained that, you know, they were going to be working on ride hailing, right? Um, do you think that they're going to, like Amazon's going to compete against Uber and Lyft and all these other companies in the ride hailing space? Because it seems like they're still committed to the original vision of Zooks, which is like, you know, this ride hailing service or these really cool vehicles that are used for ride hailing. Um, I don't know if you have any insight on that or anything you can share. Nothing I can really share. It's uh, there's a lot of things that Amazon can do, uh, and uh, obviously the the ride hailing, as they said, is is a huge benefit and a lot of what Zooks brings to the table, uh, as well as things that help in Amazon's core core practice and uh, delivery in in the delivery space. In your experience, uh, John. Is this, uh, are we going into a phase of consolidation as we get towards the finish line? Because we have Uber, um, Waymo, Tesla, uh, and just so many other folks in this. Is, is this like the natural order of things to consolidate as we get towards, you know, what might be a finish line? And then what do you think the finish line is when we'd see level four autonomy where people can go point to point while asleep? Uh I think we are seeing uh, some consolidation in the industry. I think it was happening before we seen before COVID nineteen took its toll on on uh, the industry, just in terms of testing, et cetera. Um, the the amount of money and capital required to have a successful uh, to have a successful company in the space is significant. It's just, it's just so capital intensive that uh, it, it's going to naturally require some of the bigger players to, to jump in. And so uh, we're starting to see that and uh, both in terms of things like uh, mergers, but also in terms of uh, collaborations between companies and, and trying to get, companies that are that will help each other out uh, with regard to uh, funding certain technologies. My question is, do you think that we were already in, in the midst of like this consolidation, right? Because obviously the pandemic accelerated some of these things. So was it like an acceleration of uh, all of this or was it bound to happen? Were these mergers bound to happen or did this purely happen? I, I think they were the bound pandemic? to happen. It, uh, for for the reasons we just talked about, it, the capital requirements of uh, is is so mm -hmm. uh, extensive that what we have effectively been seeing are a lot of startups who are very maneuverable and can just address individual problems in the field uh, can move quickly and they uh, can uh, come up with meaningful solutions to particular problems. When the larger players realize they need that solution, uh, their, their choice is always, should we develop it in-house or should we go and acquire a company and just buy this expertise? And given how fast mm -hmm. the companies are moving and it's trying to kind of do a land grab, to, so to speak, the companies have favored just acquiring that technology and, and just as important, the teams from those startups 
who they have a lot of confidence in. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good segue into the first topic you had there from the Atlantic story, John. Yeah, I mean, as self-driving technology has become more ubiquitous, uh, automated driving software is bound to fail, right? So it kind of brings questions as to who's going to be responsible to its mistakes. Um, to date, the most prominent uh, software that we see out there in the marketplace is Tesla's Autopilot, which uh, specifies that drivers need to supervise the vehicle when it's being driven and are responsible for any mistakes the software makes. Um, but we also saw the fatal crash that happened in 2018, which gave some insight on what happens when autonomous vehicle software crashes and a person dies. Right after that, Uber suspended their autonomous vehicle development for years, or sorry, months after the crash. Um, and ultimately, like that division was almost folded. They almost completely just got out of the self-driving game. But I guess my question to you, John, is who should be liable in a crash for, I'm going to give two scenarios here, one of them being a level two vehicle, right, which is like, what uh, Tesla Autopilot is right now. And, you know, let's compare that to like a level five vehicle when it's fully developed, when it's fully autonomous and we're selling people on this promise that you can sleep in the car, you can do work in the car and all of that. Um, so if you want, let, let's get started looking at like level two cars, which is like what's available right now in the marketplace. Um, it's, it's, you know, a automated driving system that works in certain areas. I don't, I don't know if you have a more... Um, some more background on that, John, or anything you could offer for us? Sure. And there is a big difference, obviously, between level two slash level three, right. and then and then a huge gap, and then you go to level four, level five. And the primary difference, as you noted, is the control and the responsibility of the driver. In level two slash level three vehicles, the driver is still responsible for being able to take control of the vehicle mm. and especially in level two they're responsible for maintaining uh, a good observation of the environment and understanding the environment so in i kind of consider can consider that you know where we are today and where we're going to be with regard to at least some of the vehicles on the road for the next 20, 30 years. We're, we're going to have some uh, vehicles on the road that are being driven by or controlled by humans. And uh, for those vehicles in the level two, where there's where the driver is under control, I think we're going to see a lot of what we currently have, which is if you're responsible and you're and you're tasked with being responsible for maintaining control and understanding the environment around your vehicle, you, the negligence standard is going to apply to you. Mm -hmm. And if just as is, is today, if there's a problem with the vehicle and what it is doing, then product liability can supplement that. But uh, the, the vast majority of what we've seen to date in terms of accidents have been uh, presumptions of the driver or failure of the, of the driver in the autonomous vehicles to take control when when that was deemed necessary or when it was suitable to do so. And and that was that was the issue with the Uber driver is the safety driver was on their phone. I mean they and they caught them on video. So there is definitely an issue here around compliance, and we've seen that with the Tesla excuse me, the Tesla product as well, where sometimes people will just use it incorrectly. 
I'm curious your thoughts, uh, John, on Tesla's more um, aggressive approach to putting this in the hands of consumers. Do you think that's a net benefit for the industry? Or I've heard cynical people or conservative people um, say, hey, the name autopilot is the wrong name for this. I thought it was the perfect name. Um, And Tesla shouldn't trust people with this technology, which was a little bit weird. And because on my other cars, I have lane control and adaptive cruise control, which is essentially what autopilot is. So what are your thoughts on autopilot? There's, uh, we represent Tesla, so I'm going to talk more generally. And there's there's always a concern of overselling. And, uh, but as long as you're clear on what it actually does, uh, you're, you're provided some protection. And so as we started this, the, what, based on the, the normal guidelines, the traditional guidelines of how we define level zero through five, Tesla's two, maybe two and a half in terms of where it is. And that is defined as having people need to take control uh, quickly and being aware of the environment at all times. And that's what, that's what the autopilot does. Um, The arguments that, that are the basis of your question and and what we've all heard is autopilot may be overselling that. And uh, it's somewhat, consistent with the general puffery that goes into most products. And so it's a question of uh, whether in reality, the, the government is going to feel that they're being too aggressive. And uh, if there's confusion among the pub- public about they're just relying on the high level name and not paying attention to what is actually said when they when people buy the vehicles, it's, you know, as somebody who uses it every day, it is tremendous how much safer you are in the car when you have it on, because it is rock solid in my experience on the 280 freeway, 101 freeway, etc. And now I've started to use it a little bit on surface streets, more in an experimental way, just to see how good the technology is, and it feels solid. But there's a lot more work to do there, um, obviously, because cities are just so um, unpredictable, let's say, in terms of people walking into streets, et cetera. Don't often get objects or people or shopping carts in the middle of the street, whereas you might see that you know, every couple of blocks when you're driving in San Francisco um, or New York City, for that matter. So when do you think, and this is always an interesting question, and maybe we can get your answer after we get back from the break, but I'm curious when you think, as somebody who's working in the field with so many different people, when you think we would see in the United States, a point-to-point level five. I mean, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but when we get back from this quick break, tell us, when do you think we would see level five appear in a, in a, in a U.S. city? Hey, everybody. I just want to let you know that this episode of Inside Transportation is sponsored by our friends at the Ford Motor Company, built on the belief that freedom of movement drives human progress from connectivity to autonomy. Ford has one simple goal, and that's to improve the mobility of its customers. Ford has been using technology to shape the future of transportation for over 100 years and is dedicated to solving the world's most pressing mobility issues. What you might not know is that Ford has a series of divisions that make these visions a reality. Ford X is Ford's venture incubator 
that unites entrepreneurs, designers, and engineers to shape the future of transportation. Ford's City Innovations team brings innovative ideas to life through community workshops, crowdsourcing initiatives, and citywide mobility challenges. And SPIN, a property of Ford, brings e-scooter sharing to cities and college campuses. So here's your call to action. To learn more about Ford's work in mobility, autonomous vehicles, and their global efforts to improve mobility for its customers, visit corporate.ford.com. That's corporate.ford.com. Thanks again to Ford for sponsoring independent media like this podcast. And we're back on the Inside Transportation podcast. We're talking with John McNellis of Fenwick and West, uh, talking about uh, level five autonomy. Jason asked a really good question before the break, asking when, John, uh, when you thought or when you think uh, we'll see a level five vehicle on the road uh, in the United States. So I don't know if you have any insight you can offer there. It's, it's, it's going to happen. When it happens, it's going to happen quickly. But it's going to take a while to get there. And so what I mean by that is the a lot of companies are trying to skip level three. They're trying to go to level four because that provides full autonomy in most situations. You know, think you can't drive in, uh, you know, across un, unmarked roads and gravel roads on private property or in, in, in the desert or something. But for all paved roads, for the, essentially mm-hmm. that, you're in a in a well-defined operational condition, it can drive. And so most companies are trying to get there and skipping level four. Uh, a lot of effort is being going in there. I would expect to see something on the level four side. I optimistically thinking we're going to see something on a level four side in, on the order of about seven years. Seven to, seven to nine years would be my, uh, my best guess. Level five, I wow. think level five – uh, in terms of actually seeing it, and hey, can you just just so I make sure I know it's Jason? Le- what is level four specifically versus level five? So the difference between level five is think of a vehicle. There's not even a driving wheel, a steering wheel in the car. It's it can take you point A to point B, and you you have no responsibility, and there's never a situation where you would take over that vehicle. In fact. It, probably wouldn't even have the opportunity to do so because there's no That's the holy grail. The most you can do is maybe press an emergency red button or something to like start the slowdown procedure or something, right? Correct. And you'd have you'd have the ability to communicate with somebody else and potentially somebody a third party a remote third party could take control of the vehicle and bring you off to the side of the road or something. Um, but that's the the driver has no responsibility. Level 4, it's Basically, very similar with the exception of there are certain situations similar to what we talked about before, thinking, you know, you're driving on a, a gravel road or a dirt unmarked road where the, the vehicle just hasn't been trained enough for that. But for most, the vast majority of use cases, you're, you're going to be able to get the benefit of autonomous vehicle. You can go point to point. Uh, y- y- from San Francisco to to New York City, and it can get you from door to door. So is, level, f- go ahead. I was just curious, what is the amount of time you have to be ready to take over? So you know, when you're in a Tesla today on autopilot, if 
I'll have my hands on the wheel, and it's so sensitive that it might be like, put your hands on the wheel. I'm like, my hands are on the wheel, but they've, they're really cautious, it, it seems. And over time, it seems like it's being even more cautious. And I don't know if I'm just reading into that or not as a daily driver. Um, would I be able to be asleep or facing the other direction? Do I have 10 seconds or one second to take over? Did they define that yet in what the rules are to take over? Uh, they have not defined specifically, although level four, the presumption is you wouldn't need to take over. So you could be asleep and it, it just would not drive you along a path where it would be a, it would it. be outside so it of its operational stop. parameters. Got it. Uh, level three, you have to be aware. It's, you just are given a longer period of time before you have to take over. Level two you is what you just described. You need to be aware and be able to take over the number at a moment's of seconds notice. in level three. Uh, they have I, not. Got it. What do you, yeah. So, so I'm trying to think like, is five seconds, three seconds, like what is the required amount of time to stop texting or stop eating a chicken sandwich, whatever it is, and put down your chicken sandwich uh, and your phone to take over? That, that seems like a five to 10 second type reaction time. Would I be guessing right? Where do you think that's where it would be? Ballpark? You're, you're the, the way you're approaching your resp- your answer is the right way. It's you need to be able to finish what you're doing and then have enough time Got to it. understand your environment. So then you can take over and do it intelligently. And it, there's no set defined period. But if you're thinking on the order of 10 seconds, yeah. uh, that's what I think. It's, okay, well, what is it going to take me to understand where the vehicles are around me? What am I driving into? Uh, is there an exit? Is there an accident? And so just kind of getting your bearings from a, I'm not paying any attention. Here's a stupid question. Mindset. Have they anticipated weather in this five, you know, level system? So if it's snowing, if it's icy, if it's raining, does that change? And you, you, you won't be able to do level three, you know, on the way to Tahoe, if there's snow on the road, or if it's a rainstorm, you know, it knows there's rain because of the windshield wiper and the cameras in a Tesla. So it says, you know what, autopilot is not available in the rain. Or level three is not available in the rain or something like that. I think those will happen. I mean, one of the big problems with with weather right now is is understanding where you are on a road. We've Many of us have driven on very snowy roads and a three-lane highway uh, – has now become a two-lane highway because everybody's staying away from the edges. So uh, there's no markers on the road, and all you see is a path of tire tracks where the people have come. And, and there are only two lanes, and they're not matching up with the lanes on the highway. And so wow. that presents a lot of trouble for autonomous vehicles because, A, it's testing in – a lot of the reasons why testing is done in environments where there's no snow is – they're trying to figure out where the lanes are. And uh, uh, the companies are figuring out different ways to do that. Uh, oftentimes, you know, if you're in a city where GPS is uh, not very accurate because of all the reflection from the buildings, it's they're actually basing their position on the buildings themselves. And that just takes a lot of training. And uh, out on, on highways where you, it's not as many buildings, they're trying to base it off of either – uh, signage, or if they make smart highways, they could have some transponders along the highway, and then they can base their positional information uh, on that. And so that's really important when there's snow and you don't see the lane markings anymore. And so that's why a lot of the, the testing is done in situations or in locations where snow 
and, and heavy rain are not issues. So, John, one question for you, and it's kind of changing the subject so you can answer it after the break. Um, but Jason and I actually discussed this on last week's podcast um, about the role of government, right, in autonomous, with autonomous vehicles. To date, the U.S. has been very hands-off when it comes to autonomous vehicle regulations. Um, so I just want to get your take, like, you know, from the clients you've worked with, um, do you think that... Uh, do you think that there needs to be more guidance or less guidance, um, you know, when it comes to uh, giving, giving, you know, some insights as far as like what uh, autonomous developers should be doing? Um, and we can answer that right after the break here on the Inside Transportation podcast. Stay tuned. Hey, everybody. Let me take a moment to thank Fenwick and West. They're one of the world's first and leading law firms dedicated to technology and life sciences. They operate in the fast lane of innovation where ideas often outpace changes in the law. That's where you find Fenwick's autonomous transportation and shared mobility practice, steering startups, technology giants, and major automotive companies through rapidly evolving legal, business, and regulatory challenges, which we talk about here on Inside Transportation all the time. A Silicon Valley original, Fenwick is a national law firm with offices in Mountain View, San Francisco, Seattle, New York, Santa Monica, and even Shanghai. So here's your call to action. Learn more about how Fenwick can help companies tackle the complex legal and business issues of autonomous transportation at Fenwick.com. That's F-E-N-W-I-C-K.com. Thanks again to Fenwick for providing great legal services to me. I use them personally uh, for, and for our investments and uh, for supporting independent media Inside Transportation. Let's get back to this amazing episode. And we're back on the Inside Transportation podcast with John McNellis Nellis, uh, from Fenwick and West. This is the JJJ podcast. I just realized that. John, Jason, and Johan uh, on, on Inside Transportation. Uh, but before the break, um, we were talking about the role of government with autonomous vehicles, right? Um, you know, there hasn't been a lot of regulations in the U.S. to date. And, you know, I just kind of want to get some insight from the clients you've been working with, John, whether they're looking for more guidance or less guidance. What, what's, what's your take? It's actually a dual-edged sword in that generally companies are looking for uh, the ability to just innovate and figure things out and make it work. And the, as you noted, the federal government has taken a pretty hands-off approach, and the National Highway Transportation uh, Authority has mm -hmm. put out guidelines, but that's all they are. They're guidelines, and it's optional. The, right. And so that's helpful. All that is helpful. They're, they're letting companies innovate. The f flip side of that, or the other side they, of that- they just passed, just for background, um, they passed something about a week ago, right, where they're creating this national database, but it's completely voluntary. I think it's called like the- AV Safe Act or something like that, um, which is you know some progress, right? Would you say? Or? Absolutely, letting people put in information that provides other companies the ability to to move forward on safety issues is a is an important step. And they suggested that a while back, and they finally implemented it. And the other thing they did was for vehicle autonomous vehicles that are purely transporting transporting tra transporting goods they uh, for the first time are allowing vehicles to not satisfy all of the safety requirements that are 
typically put into place for people. For example, mm. if you're hit by you know the side impact collisions and no steering wheel, uh, no mirrors, those are things that the government is now saying. Okay, if you're if you're not transporting people, you're allowed to do this, which makes perfect sense. So things like that are really helpful. The problem. One example, like uh, the neuro vehicle, right? And we talked about this, Jason. I don't know if you remember that little small um, autonomous vehicle yes. that would deliver groceries. And I think they're running one in Texas and there's another one in California. So you're talking about that kind of vehicle, right, John? Yeah. Exactly. It, precisely. And the it provides the, it, it, you know, they have lockers so it can deliver the, the orders to a variety of different people in kind of one in one round trip. And, uh, and so all, all those are really helpful in terms of the, the, what the federal government is doing. The risk is if the federal government doesn't do anything, then you're leaving it up to 50 states who potentially have 50 different regulations. And it's historically been hard to, for companies to maneuver in, in those situations. Um, and in reality, it's gone down to the the municipalities. Oh my lord! The, so the yeah, states it's not even like California. React. It might be Los Angeles versus San Francisco versus Palo Alto. It, exactly, and that's where today that's where most of the activity is going on, and the the many municipalities want to want to be seen as cutting edge and a place that will that wants to encourage business. So there's there's that motivation. The flip side is the risk to those municipalities and and those city councils is if there's an if there's an accident, they're going to be the, the the blame's going right to them. Right. And so that there's there's the risk, but that's where most of the action is being taken is taking place today is in municipalities in terms of getting the regs, uh, getting the regulations, and being able to do test driving uh, in specific ways. Uh, we see that a lot in Arizona, for example. Public Have sentiment, Johanna. Oh, I'm curious, just public sentiment-wise, it seems like people are very pro-self-driving. People want this technology, and people understand mm. that. <laughs> you don't think so? I mean, it seems to no, me well, that from people— what I've read, yeah. From what I've read, there's a lot of consumers that don't trust self-driving technology. Um, and that was actually one of the questions I was going to ask you, John, uh, because you might have some more insight on this. As far as consumer sentiment goes, what have you seen from what I've read, from what I've seen um, from various studies? There's a lot of apprehension about self-driving technology. Uh, so what have you kind of heard from companies uh, on the consumer end of things? Are consumers ready for this technology like Jason was asking? The studies I've seen are people are initially reluctant. I, the number I had seen from 2017 was uh, only 21% would be willing to go in a vehicle uh, that's fully autonomous. But once people go in one, uh, take a trip in that, whether it be uh, you could actually take Uber Lyft rides in for CES – uh, in an autonomous vehicle, right. then they have autonomous vehicles where you can. T Once people do that, they're all in, and so it, just in two years, the number's gone from you know ballpark twenty percent to ballpark sixty percent of people are willing exactly. to uh, exactly go in go in that. So the more people become familiar with it, the more that people are co get comfortable with it. Or you know, there's so many. Tesla is so popular, the more people that ride in a, a Tesla and, and go on and use their autopilot, even if, even if they're not the driver, they just see how it operates. 
they gain that level of trust, which is natural, right? People are always cautious and, and have some concerns if they haven't experienced something. But once they experience, they're like, this is great. And then they start seeing, oh, wow, I could play video games. And, you know, my kids aren't that interested in driving. You know, even if, if they have their my, – my, my daughter has a license. They go, you want to drive? Go, no. And, you know, she's on her phone. And that's that's more interesting to them than the the fun of driving. Wow. And so I, I think there's a whole generation that is going to adopt this wholeheartedly because they have other things to do as opposed to paying attention to the road. Right. And one thing I was going to ask you, actually, was about driver's licenses, right? Do you think the idea of a driver's license is going to become – it's just going to disappear in about like 10 years? Uh, I, think it, I think it will eventually – become a novelty. I think the time frame is longer than that. I, I I don't think we'll be in the situation where we have only autonomous vehicles on the road for 30 years. Uh, there's always people that like to drive are going to want to continue to drive. Yeah, it's going to be generational. Like you're going to have to, to, the idea that you would take somebody's car away from them, the steering wheel, is, you know, some people might feel the same way about you taking their gun, right, in, in certain places. And they're going to think it's their right. So it has to be a generational change, I think, where young people are like, yeah, I'm just really not super interested in that. And probably will be very similar to buying a stick shift. Like, even when I was learning how to drive in the 80s and into the 90s, like, you know, they taught you on a stick shift uh, maybe half the time. And now I was just reading, you, you can only buy like eight or nine cars that have stick shifts right yeah, they're basically disappearing yeah it, it's you don't yeah you, you don't see them i mean i think i think there will be before before we get to that point there will be particular highways you know think mm-hmm. hov lanes high occupancy vehicle lanes now i think there'll be uh all highway, you know, eight particular highways that are solely dedicated to autonomous vehicles, or there'll be particular lanes that are solely dedicated to autonomous yeah. vehicles, because that simplifies the operation, makes everything much yeah, safer. Absolutely. I mean, the difference in safety between having having all autonomous vehicles where they're all communicating with each other, so you know when they're going to break ahead of time, uh, versus having any even just one person on the road, the safety goes up significantly, and it's much easier. We almost have the technology to do it now if it's if it's only autonomous vehicles, at least you know on highways type of situations where you can just have uh, cars and trucks just work because they're all communicating with each other. So there's right. no I mean, surprises. It comes down to human error, and you know if you think about all the fatal autonomous vehicle crashes we've had to date it's been one right it's just been one and there's still a lot of apprehension in the marketplace whether they're safe but a lot of it comes down to humans right because humans make a ton of mistakes on the road wait you're saying Um, there was only one johanny is that the uber one you're talking about yeah just the uber one well i mean there's i I don't know there have been people who have had autopilot on um we had one crash the apple employee um who you know was just speeding and using it so that i mean i think the the question for me is when is it not a driver have we had any autonomous that are not explicitly the driver's fault and in all the cases i can think of the uber case the person was playing candy crush the case of the apple employee in the model x on the 101 exchange was speeding and was using autopilot and they were even like super fans of autopilot so they had 
um, you know, I think had been in discussion with Tesla or had told them like, Hey, it doesn't work on these sections of the road and kind of thing. And I was like, Oh my God, this, you know, that's the problem I see is some people get too enthusiastic about the, the technology and then they don't do the basic, their basic responsibility, which is not watching a movie or, you know, not speeding with the technology as well. That's the other thing that I think is, you know, crazy is, you know, the if people are speeding with this technology or using it in, in areas that it's not explicitly for. And a lot of it's testing. And you, you, you mentioned the 101 accident in Mountain View. I went like two days later to just to drive that portion of the road to see if I could figure out what I think happened. And my take is it was lane markings. The It, it was a weird intersection where there was uh, there was a, a, a high occupancy and HOV lane on the left, and it was an over ramp to to go from one major highway 101 to another mm-hmm. one 85, and it was a left exit, and ah. the the lane markings to get off on that exit was there was supposed to be a white markings there, and it was really faded. So the vehicle, instead of making the left, was sticking to the last lane that of the through lanes, um, and and right. and and unfortunately just went right into yeah. the median. And there were no uh, none of those um, barrels with the water and styrofoam in them either. Those had been removed, I heard as well. So that could have been could have saved the person's life as well. But it's I've had this experience with autopilot where. Um, there are some areas of the road. There's one with the 280 where it goes to the one and it splits up uh, here in, in Northern California. And they just don't paint the lanes properly. There was no paint on the lanes. And I every I would be in that lane and I would know, okay, it's going to disengage at this point. And then actually, after a little while, they repainted it and the Tesla was able to navigate it uh, on autopilot. But I am always very cautious on ramps, off ramps, those kind of things. You, you, you know, because people could, the paint could be missing. You know, the, and then you've got the fault of the city with the painting. You know, and uh, all kinds of other things. So, it, I think it's going to be very interesting when the highways are starting to adapt for self-driving cars, right? Because I don't know why there's not a middle lane where we draw in the middle you know, little dots or something that are explicitly for the center of the lane. If there was a line in the middle of each lane or a center where they would just put in, you know, um, little diodes or lights or, you know, something in the middle of the lane, you could track perfectly. And I think in China, they've done experiments with this where they put a line in the middle of the lane, which is a different color. And that's like your line you're supposed to Yeah. Follow. Now, while that wouldn't work with snow, your idea is is good in that if you had something where maybe it was a transponder right in the center and it, and so it could yeah. even go through snow or really bad uh, heavy rain those are yeah. but you kind of hit on the point of why it's going to take a while before we truly get to four, uh, level four and level five it's just the technology there's so many unusual cases uh, that the, the edge that cases. they're so hard to solve mm-hmm. for and to fully test yeah. for even even not only testing on, actual on on the roads, but you, even with all the automated testing that's going on, there there's still a lot of these these weird edge cases that are just difficult a to identify that they exist until they actually happen, and and then to solve for because they're just really hard technology to, to fix. 
This is where I think I, Tesla has such a huge advantage because they have video cameras. You agree to share your information. So in the case where that left exit or my you know interchange where it wasn't painted properly, it knows the autopilot got disengaged. It knows I had to take over. And it actually could replay the video. And they can then send those videos in aggregate. Let's say 10 Tesla drivers disengage every day on that spot. They could send somebody in the database to market in the database and alert the city to fix it or just program the software to, hey, you know, this is a this is a frequently confusing edge case, right? And that is happening, I believe. I believe that's happening also. It's a, it's a combination of yeah. providing more notice to the driver that this is going to be an issue um, and providing that information to cities, but they so, don't, John, you know, th that's a lot of money for the cities to be putting into something. And so the, that's the other issue the infrastructure costs of this are huge. So John, you know, kind of looking at all these issues, right? Uh, based on your opinion, what you've seen, what's the biggest challenge facing companies developing autonomous technology right now? Is it just a capital problem? Is it all these issues you kind of mentioned? Like, what do you think is the biggest one? If you had to, you know, point one out. There are, there are, a variety is picking out one. We're still the overall technology. The as we talked about edge cases, there's uh, significant mm -hmm. issues. There's another one that's coming down uh, that we're going to eventually see, and we were talking about kind of liability issues earlier, and it, it somewhat faces you know with that. Uh, what's the solution for the liability when you start getting to level four and level five? All of a sudden, if it, you get to the point where we talked about what happens at level two when the driver has control. and But when you get to level four and level five, the driver no longer has control of the vehicle. It, it's you, you press a button and you're, you're asleep in the back. Yeah. So it's certainly not the driver who's responsible it, in that case, right? Because they have zero involvement by design. Precisely. It can't, it can't be their responsibility. Yeah. But by definition, they're, they're a passenger, not a driver. So they're not contributing if there was an accident. The interesting thing, I always look at this on economics, because what I've learned in my career is anybody can sue anybody at any time. And typically when the lawsuits do happen, they happen in order uh, and the targets are done by how deeply pocketed the targets are. So you just sue everybody. You sue the city, you sue the car manufacturer, you, you just would sue the other driver, et cetera, the tire company, the brake company, everybody gets sued. And then you sort it out in court. Um, but if the number of fatalities in level four and five is 10% of what it is, you know, for level zero, right? Or level two, well, let's just say level zero, no self-driving. If it's 10%, which is what I would think we are at right now, if it's 10%, well, there's going to be one-tenth the number of lawsuits, which means the insurance companies are going to give you a discount for using self-driving. And they might charge you a premium if they know your miles, just like they track your miles now, and they'll give you like, you know, Metro Mile, these other things, charge you per mile. They could say, hey, if you're driving, it's, you know, 10 cents insurance a mile. If the car's driving, it's one penny a mile, right? Or whatever it is. And I think the economics of it will just bear out that, you know, insurance companies do better when people have self-driving on. It's even a question of whether insurance companies will even exist, right? Like, there's an existential I mean, if, thing if there the for sure. The technology is is so good, right? And there's barely any crashes. Why would anyone even bother getting insurance? Well, the, the liability is going to shift from the drivers to the manufacturers. So the 
the concern I have is, well, I agree with what you said. I think the individual's insurance cost for their for insuring their vehicle is going to go way down. Uh, but to the extent, and that's because they're not going to be responsible anymore. But manufacturers are going to be responsible for all mm-hmm. these. And while the number of accidents go down and the overall uh, insurance costs will go down, they're going to go way up for man- manufacturers compared to what they have now. Yeah, they'll have is... it for the yeah for the first time. Basically, like they'll actually have it. I mean, and it's so it's hard to be... crash a Tesla. That's I mean, you have to <laughs> really really work at getting into a fender bender. Like the car stops you from getting into a fender bender. Well, a lot of cars, cars on the market too, right? Yeah. Like obviously Tesla's technology is great, but. You fu- you see all this crash avoidance software in a lot of vehicles now. Um, including How is Volvo. it not mandatory? That's see, if we really care about this issue, there are aftermarket kits that are very affordable, like low hundreds of dollars. I am interested why it is not mandatory to have collision alerts. I'm not even slamming on the brakes, but the just the alert. Because I was in Vegas, and all the cabs at one point had. This little device, Johan, you should try to find it because I think it'd be an interesting story that you put on your dashboard and it shows the number of feet between you and the car in front of you. And really? Yeah. And then it would turn that. yellow wow. and then it would turn red and then it would start blaring. And so I was just happened to be in a car with this guy who was just getting used to it. He said they just put it in and you know, he was <laughs> riding up on everybody's you know, tail and the thing kept blaring and he's like, I'm not going to hit that car. And I'm like, Mm, you came within eight inches of hitting that car, dude. <laughs> I think they got this thing in here for you. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's blaring. So, I mean, we once allowed people to not wear seatbelts and to not have, you know, um, airbags and not have shoulder belts. And, and this is just going to change everything. I think it's very quickly we're going to realize this is commoditized technology. Like, are review cameras now, Johan, mandatory in all cars? Yeah, they're, they're, I think they're, manu- yeah, they're, they're mandatory in all of the U.S. Uh, and right. very, very interesting because, like, it comes down to cost, right? That's the reason why automakers were so hesitant to even add rear view cameras because it was adding, you know, mm. extra cost to the car that was yeah. taking out some of their profit. But I don't know if you have any insights there, John. It, it's going it's to happen. Another example would be analog brakes. So they were the, the AB systems were uh, on high-end vehicles to start, and now they've been mandatory for years. And it, it's just a natural progression. Once something becomes uh, popular and uh, the safety factors become so well-known and it does become commoditized, it's, that's when the government steps in and, so, and requires yeah. it. Yeah. So one other story I wanted to mention before we wrap up the yep. podcast, um, Waymo. And, so there was actually another big uh, autonomous story coming out today. Waymo and Volvo have agreed to jointly develop self-driving cars. The deal is going to have Alphabet's self-driving unit develop AI and hardware for the car, while Volvo will design and manufacture the vehicles. They're planning to use these vehicles in a ride-hailing service. Um, So I kind of wanted to talk about these partnerships between automakers and technology companies. Obviously, like you said, there's a lot more consolidation happening in the marketplace, um, but I just wanted to get some of your insights as far as what do you think the future is of all these automakers that aren't really developing their own systems um, for cars for autonomous driving, whether it's going to be we're going to have one big provider of the technology, which might be a Waymo or what's what's some of your take there? Everyone is betting on different things right now. Uh, And you have companies like Apple that put a 
what reportedly put a lot of money into their Project Titan, their AV project, uh, and it appears now to be more focused on the software aspect, which then can be applied to a lot of different cars. Mm -hmm. And the combination of what you talked about, GM acquiring Cruise a few years ago. And it's, uh, I think there's going to be a few players who try to control their own vertical. And, you know, so they're controlling essentially everything in the vehicle. And there may be some crossover like Apple CarPlay and things like that. But you're 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 going to have a few companies try to to battle it out, um, at least for the next five years. While uh, while there's a lot of cons- consolidation, I think there's there's going to be at least two camps, maybe three camps, in terms of uh, companies that are trying to just win the marketplace with their technology and their and their vehicles. That's actually been always been my thesis: is that. I think three people get there in the same year or so, um, and regulation gets there when two or three people have something viable. I, I put the running order as Tesla uh, and then Waymo and then everybody else. And, and the reason I picked that order is because I think Tesla has so much more data than everybody that they're going to be able to iron out the edge cases a bit more. Um, and I think Waymo has just so much money and has been in it so long, um, mm-hmm. and they don't need to really monetize this in any way. They don't need to make money from it. They've got their ad business. So for them, this is just about freeing up your time when you're in the car to then go use Google services, right? Maybe well, that I makes revenue. Say, I think Waymo is trying to create this into like a standalone business. Um, so these partnerships, I think, represent that, you know, Waymo is really working hard to make this into a viable business, yeah. given that we all expected these vehicles to appear on the road a lot sooner. Then, you know, and I think you actually mentioned that the other day. You, you were like, uh, I think the original vision was like 2020, right? 2021. People were saying seeing... 2020, you know, uh, for dinosaurs, uh, woolly mammoths being made. That was like a prediction five years ago. <laughs> and for self-driving. And you know what the funny thing about this is? we're all just making banana bread in our underwear because we can't leave yeah, home now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was the true 2020 uh, prediction. <laughs> Here's Yeah, that was the truth. Um, the, the, I think... This is crazy, but this will be the wrap-up game. Here's the wrap-up game. Which will we see first? Woolly Mammoth, level five in a U.S. city, or a VTOL flying, uh, a VTOL that allows consumers to fly in it uh, from one point to another anywhere in the United States, right? So even if it was just you could take a flight across the bay in it or, you know, across Lake Tahoe in a VTOL. Like Which a commercially one? viable service, right? A commercially viable talking- service. It doesn't okay. mean like we're all driving one, but it's actually happening. Like you could go to, let's say you go to Lake Tahoe and they'll have one that takes you from one side to the other and then back. So VTOL, Woolly Mammoth, or Level 5? VTOL. You went VTOL? Yes, because if we're talking about a human-operated VTOL, right? Human or um, software. I think most of them will be autonomous easier. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the, that's the promise there, yeah. too, is um, autonomous VTOLs. I think we're going to see an autonomous car before an autonomous VTOL. Okay. Um, but I, I would say VTOL service. I mean, oh, we're already pretty much there. Uh, what about you, John? Uh, I agree with VTOL, but I differ in one thing. I think we're going to see autonomous VTOLs before we see level five vehicles, because it's really? w- the solution is way agree. easier. It's way easier. You're not dealing with all the issues you're dealing with in in cities with people. You, all you have to do is get up in the air, 
and they just stay no. away from other vehicles, and then you just have to land. I think you're gonna. I think we're gonna see that way. And there'll earlier. be so few of them, and you have to remember, you have an X Y axis, like you and the Z axis, like you could be anywhere. So everything flying east is at you know whatever five thousand. Everything flying west is at seven thousand. Everything flying north is at nine thousand. You know, they could just totally miss each other by the design of the airspace, right? And and they're already doing these test flights in China, uh, so. That don't don't you think consumers would be a little apprehensive about taking a autonomous nope. like helicopter? Nope. Basically, it's so much safer. I think it'll be safer than cars huh. immediately, because think about this, Johan. They have like eight um, eight of those uh, you know propellers, and right. they're usually doubled up. So maybe it's like sixteen rotors. And you lose any one, the other one that's, you know, underneath it still works. So it just goes twice as hard and the other ones go a little bit less. And if you were to lose like three or four of them, it could still land easily. Whereas in a helicopter, we know those are really dangerous. Like helicopters have like one thing keeping them up. It's that one rotor above you. They don't have eight little ones, right? Man. So what do you think? What do you think we're going to see first? Uh, Wooly Mammoth, uh, <laughs> a VTOL or a autonomous level five car. Jason. I'm putting the I'm putting the Wooly Mammoth. Uh, okay. I'm putting the Wooly Mammoth <laughs> second, and then level five. No, it's level <laughs> five, and I believe it's ten years out in American cities. I believe VTOLs are three to five years out in American cities, probably over water to start in like you know, and then I put the Wooly Mammoth as like, I'll say amazing, amazing. I'm gonna put wow. thirty years only because there's a chance I would see that. Knock on wood. <laughs> Yes. Um, well, we saw a pandemic. We never thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Once in a hundred year pandemic, uh, once in a hundred year Jurassic Park experiment. Yes. Uh, so this has been great. Again, it's good thanks, to have the a big legal brain thank you on to here. To our special guest, John McNeilis. Neil, how, how do you say your name again? I'm sorry. It's, Mc, it's McNeilis. McNeilis. I'll, I'll, I'll learn it. I was going to uh, say McNeilis yeah. from the McNellis. law firm McNellis. Fenwick and West. Right. Uh, you can learn more at Fenwick.com. That's F E N W I C K.com. Thanks thank for coming on the so pod much, and, and talking for... so. Uh... Uh, candidly about the space i appreciate that well, thank you jason thank you johan it was uh it was great chat with you i just i love just talking about this stuff this is great i know it's so it's a lot of fun the world is <laughs> thing they promised us flying cars and cars that would drive themselves and they gave them to us i can't wait oh, it's gonna man, be so great crazy. anyway thanks so much everyone bye everybody bye 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 cheers cheers <laughs>